Good morning. Good to be together this morning. Good to have you joining us online. Um, if you're a guest of ours in the auditorium here, man, we're honored to have you with us. I know I've met some people who are from out of town and traveling through, and uh, thanks for choosing to worship God with us this morning here at Bay Area. We're glad you're here. We're glad to be together. I don't know if everyone does this. I don't know if it's just a guy thing, or maybe just a me thing. But how many of you, when you're watching television, you're constantly flipping through other channels? Anyone? Is that, is that just me? It drives my family crazy, by the way. When I'm watching television, I'm always kind of flipping from channel to sh- channel, and it drives my family crazy. And what drives my wife the craziest, what she really hates, she hates when I talk about her in a sermon first, but <laughs> she's not here today, so... Um, what she really hates is when I come across an old movie, you know, going through the channels, and I stop and start watching it again. She hates that. No, not this movie. We've seen it a thousand times. But it's Casablanca. Come on. It's like the greatest movie of all time. It's the best part of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world. She walks into mine. It's just so good. I will always stop on the movie Hoosiers. Always. I don't care. It might have 10 minutes left. I'm going to stop and watch it. It's just that good. I can quote the whole movie. I can stream it anytime I want. But when I see it, I stop and I watch. Now, boys, don't get caught watching that paint dry. It is just that good. And I guess probably most of us are kind of like that. You know, we have movies that that we'll stop and we'll watch over and over again just because we like it so much and they're so good. Now, you're in your car and you're kind of scanning through the radio and you hear a song that it might almost be over, but, oh, I love that song. So you'll stop and listen and start singing along. Now, we have our favorite television episodes that you've seen so many times, but when you stumble on them again, I'm watching And you know what's going to happen, and you're still laughing at the same parts, and you're still crying at the same parts, because it's just that good. This morning, we're backing up a little bit. I'm going to remind you of something that we talked a lot about 18 months ago. Uh, This morning, it's not a rerun. You've never heard this sermon before, but I am going to reintroduce an emphasis that we have here at Bay Area a vision that we have when we talk about um, doing life here. And the reason why I'm going back to it is it's still very important to us, and it's just that good. Uh, Maybe this graphic will jog your memory a little bit. I hope that it does, because you've been walking past five banners in the lobby for the past uh, year that have that graphic on it. Uh, It's referring to Acts 2.42, It's referring to how Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, sort of defined those very first Jesus followers uh, as they talked about this brand new church, this church that was on fire, this church that was rattling the gates of hell. Here's what he wrote. They devoted themselves, they, those first Jesus followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and prayer. Does that sound familiar? I hope it does. Hashtag 242, right? This morning, I want to challenge you a little bit as we think about this 242 focus. And I want to set up my challenge by telling you something you probably already know. In fact, some of you are probably guilty of this. There is a large percentage of Americans who will avoid at all costs going to the doctor. They don't want to go to the doctor. They refuse to go to the doctor. And for an awful lot of people, it's not the cost, it's not the hassle. For an awful lot of people, the reason they don't want to go to the doctor is they're afraid he might find something wrong with them. Or she might find something wrong with them. Because if I don't know, if I don't know there's something wrong with me, then I don't really have to deal with it. If I don't know there's something wrong with me, I don't have to be concerned with it. You know, maybe my arteries will just magically unclog. (laughs) My my blood sugar is just going to balance out somehow. One of these days, one of these days, my cholesterol level is going to plummet. I'm going to wait for that. But of course, rationally, we all understand just how important it is for us to know our well-being. We need to know how we're doing. The most basic way to keep up with that is just a routine exam, a checkup, an assessment. And every health professional, those of you who work in the health field, will tell you at a bare minimum, we need to pay attention to things like our temperature and our pulse and our breathing and our blood pressure. Intellectually, we all get that. We all understand that. But here's the deal. As important as it is to keep up with your physical well-being, it is infinitely more important to keep up with your spiritual well-being. We need to pay close attention to how we're doing spiritually. And so many times we neglect this. How's your soul doing? Now, what would God say about the trajectory of your life? in your character. How are you doing spiritually? Which brings me back around to my challenge. Brings me back around to Acts 2.42. If you are bold enough, this morning we are going to do a spiritual checkup together. We're going to do a spiritual self-assessment. And the reason for doing this, of course, is not to make you feel really bad about yourself. And it's not really to make you feel really good about yourself either. It's just to try to get some clarity about where we are, how we're doing, how God has blessed us, and how we're responding to those blessings. Acts 2.42, we find four defining characteristics that, that demonstrate that spiritual vitality in those followers of Jesus. And just like heart rate and, and blood pressure give us an insight into our physical health, Uh, Look again at the passage and see some things that give us some insight into our spiritual health. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. John Ortborg, one of my favorite writers, uh, talks about in one of his writings that there is a difference between people who dabble in something and people who are devoted to something. It's a huge difference. Um, Those early Christians, they devoted themselves 
There's a big difference between dabbling and devoting. And I'll prove it to you. And I think I've asked this question before, but how many of you have ever, when you were a child, have taken piano lessons? Anyone? Yeah, lots of people take piano lessons when they're kids. Did you dabble in it or were you devoted? Hmm. Just last week, me and Eric Poe were talking in the foyer out here. And we were talking, where is Eric? He's in here somewhere. I'm throwing you under the bus, Eric, probably, sorry. But we were talking about things that we wish we could do. And Eric said, you know what I wish I could do? I wish I could go into like a restaurant or a hotel lobby or someplace where there's a piano and walk over and just sit down, play a little tune, and then nonchalantly get up and walk away. I'd love to be able to do that. But of course, then I'd have to practice the piano. I told him, you know what I wish I could do? I always wish that Martha and I could go to like ballroom dancing somewhere and we could walk out on the floor and we could give this amazing dance. And we just like, like those professionals. I think that would be so cool. And I've got to tell you, there's a lot better chance of Eric sitting down at a piano <laughs> than Martha and I ever stepping out on the dance floor. We have danced in our kitchen before. It is not a pretty sight. <laughs> But those of you who uh, took lessons, piano lessons, as a kid, did you dabble or were you devoted? And it would be very easy to find out which it was. All I'd have to do is get you to sit down at a piano. And I'd be able to tell you whether you were a dabbler or whether you were devoted to it. There's a difference. You know, to dabble in something means I do it eh, when it's convenient to me, when I feel like it when I'm in the mood, when I need something, when I have to. Those first century followers of Jesus, they didn't dabble at life in the kingdom. They realized what Jesus accomplished. They realized what God was offering. They realized this is an opportunity of a lifetime. This is an opportunity of an eternal lifetime. They were devoted. It's what they wanted more than anything else. So they made this way of life, this, this Jesus way of life, they made it their top priority. They weren't going to miss it. They're obsessed with it. They sacrificed for it. And again, they didn't do it out of a sense of obligation. They didn't feel like they had to. They did it joyfully. It's just the way they were living their lives. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are going to take a, a, a spiritual checkup together. We're going to walk through those things that defined in Acts 2.42 that early church. And again, my prayer is that we just gain a little bit more clarity for ourselves. Not for each other, but for ourselves. So we're going to do some evaluation this morning, some, some assessment. And I'm going to warn you before we get into this. Do you think people ever lie to their doctors? Yes. Yeah, we've got to... A couple of doctors in here, yeah, nurses, health professionals. My brother's a doctor. It turns out people lie to their doctors all the time, all the time. They drink more than they say they do. They exercise less than they say they do. They lie about their weight, even though they know they're going to get on a scale. They still lie about their weight. So... As we go through this assessment this morning, I'm going to challenge you to be as honest with yourself as you can. This is just between you and God, okay? You're not writing anything down. There's no paper trail here. 
I'm not signing your name to anything. I'm not asking you to assess your spouse. I'm not asking you to assess your kids or your parents. I'm not asking you to assess us. This is between you and God. So be honest with yourself. And be honest with God because here's a newsflash. God already knows. <laughs> Pretty hard to, to, to fool God. So as we walk through these um, spiritual checkup, the spiritual vital signs, just kind of mentally circle a number where you feel you might fall between dabbling and being devoted. And the first is, Luke talked about the apostles' teaching. So I've got to ask myself, am I meeting God on a regular basis? Am I in the Word? When we're told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that was the same teaching that that we've received through the Bible, specifically the New Testament. And what those apostles taught about more than anything else was Jesus. Jesus was the focus of their teaching. When they learned from the apostles, what did they learn? They learned Jesus. They learned to better know Jesus, to understand Jesus, to appreciate the life and the teaching of Jesus. They were obsessed with his matchless wisdom. They were obsessed with this world-shattering reality of his death, his crucifixion on a cross for our sins, his resurrection. They were devoted to this man and his life and his teaching, not because they were trying to impress anyone, not because they, they wanted to fit in in society, because they didn't, not because they felt guilty about it. No. They realized that through Jesus, they had this confidence for life. They had this, this hope for what was beyond this life, like nothing else in the universe. I've got to tell you, when someone is alive to God, they love the wisdom of the Bible. Someone that is alive spiritually, they love the wisdom of the Bible. They love the comfort that comes through the Bible. They love that the Bible gets so embedded in their lives that it just comes out. You know, they, they love the fact that when they come into hard times and difficulties and trials, they think, the Lord is my shepherd. When they start a new day, they get out of bed and think, this is a day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. When someone offends them, they think, turn the other cheek. When someone cuts them off on I-4, they think, get behind me, Satan. Um, Hey, we're constantly running things through our minds. It's just the way we're wired. We can't turn our minds off. What better thing to default to than the Word of God? And we are so nonchalant about this. We are so casual about what matters so much. Am I devoted to the Word of God? Or do I just kind of dabble in it? People who are led by the Spirit, people who have a vision for life in the kingdom, people whose Lord is King Jesus, they find themselves, they want to meet Him in the book. They want to know what He said. They want to know what He did. They want to know what He's promised. They find Jesus to be fascinating. So, where would you circle your scale? You know, we're all assessing ourselves. You know, when people are dabbling in this, 
they find ways of neglecting the Bible. They find ways of ignoring God's word. It takes up too much time, even though we find time for everything else we want to do. It's boring. It's ancient literature. It doesn't apply to me today. It's not practical. We get really careless about what we're filling our minds with. Last week at the Equip Conference, I attended a class, a lot of you were there uh, in the same class, uh, taught by Monty Cox, a professor of Bible at uh, Harding University for a long time. And at the end of his class, he was asked, would you describe kind of an ordinary, typical incoming freshman who is attending a Christian university today? And here was his answer. What we're seeing are young men and young women who have this tremendous desire to do good in their world. They love compassion. They love justice. They hate phoniness. They have wonderful, wonderful hearts. But by and large, for the most part, they don't know the Bible. For the most part, 18-year-olds entering a Christian college, they don't really know the Bible. That was his assessment, at least. Listen, no matter how old you are, something is shaping our minds. We're filling our minds with something. So, where are you on this checkup? Are you devoted? Do you have a plan for being in God's Word? Are you sticking to the plan? Are you meditating on God's Word? Are you memorizing chunks of God's Word? Now, we don't memorize the Bible anymore, do we? Where does that circle go on this one? Where are you between dabbling and being devoted? How about fellowship? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. I say this all the time. We were designed, we were created to live in community, to live together. You don't get three pages into the Bible before God says, it's not good, the man should be alone. I mean, that's the way we're hardwired. We're hardwired to need other people in our lives. We're created that way. To know that someone else loves me. To know that someone else is paying attention when I'm here and when I'm not and when I'm doing something that I should and when I'm doing something that I shouldn't. That someone else cares for me. That someone's going to pick up the phone when I call. That someone might knock on my door if I don't call. One of the greatest blessings that we have as followers of Jesus is each other is one another, devoted to fellowship. And I'll say this about fellowship, because it's easy to agree intellectually the need for doing life together, but then we do life together, and it gets messy, doesn't it? Let me just say this. I'm not Jesus. I'm not. Jesus isn't on staff here at Bay Area. I know our staff members pretty well. He's not on staff. Jesus isn't an elder here at Bay Area. We've got godly men serving as shepherds. Jesus isn't one of them. Look at the person beside you right now. Guess who it isn't? It's not Jesus. Okay? And my point is, if we're going to do life together, if we're going to be devoted to fellowship it's only going to work if it's accompanied by wave after wave after wave of grace. We've got to be gracious with each other. We just have to. 
Remember when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, he said, ask God to forgive your sins as you forgive those who sin against you. We're all flawed. We all have issues. We all have baggage. We're all a little bit difficult sometimes. We need to show grace to each other. At the end of Paul's little letter to Philemon, he said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul was such a great wordsmith, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We need to be devoted to having a gracious spirit when it comes to fellowship, to doing relationships differently. And when people are devoted to fellowship, they say things like, I'm sorry. They say things like, I forgive you. I care about you. I love you. Even if we're hard to love sometimes. They say things like, I'm I'm glad you're in my life. I'm glad I'm in your life. So, yeah, come clean on this one. Where do you circle that uh, scale when you think about being devoted to fellowship? Are we dabbling in it? Or are you devoted to it? And then the the next spiritual uh, assessment that Luke wrote about was the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Those first Christians, they were doing life radically different than everybody else around them. We'd call it hospitality today. That's our word for it. They were hospitable. And this is so great. This is really amazing. The Holy Spirit was getting a hold of these people. And he was prompting them to teach people that, uh, to treat people who were total strangers like they were family. The Holy Spirit was prompting these people to, to treat people that they didn't really have a reason to have anything in common with. And for generations, we're told that you don't get along. They were treating those people like family. There were people that had houses and food, and, and they were sharing those things with people that didn't have those things. Some of those people had property, and some of them were selling that property and, and bringing it and saying to the apostles, hey, how can you use this? How can you help other people with this? Again, people who are spiritually alive, they devote themselves to this stuff. They just do. They want to know what are the spiritual gifts that God has blessed me with, because we all have spiritual gifts, and how can I use those spiritual gifts that I have that are probably very different than the spiritual gifts that you have, but how can I use them in a family to bless someone else? How can I take advantage of the ways God has blessed me to bless someone else? How can I help the body, the church, the bride of Christ? I'm going to give a shameless plug here. We've got some great classes here at Bay Area. You need to be involved in a class, Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. We've got a Wednesday night class that is called Welcome Home. It is loosely crafted around Acts 2.42. I call it the Bible class for people who don't like to go to a Bible class. But two Wednesdays ago, that class met over here at Zaxby's. No agenda, no devotion. We just all got together at Zaxby's and ate together. We had more people at Zaxby's than we ever had in a class. (laughs) 
It was the best attended class of the entire quarter. Why? Because there is something powerful about sitting down and eating with each other. There just is. You think about all the things that Jesus said and did around a table. Some of the greatest stories in Scripture revolve around a meal. They just do. So, when it comes to hospitality, where are you circling? What what number would you be? Now, sadly, the world that we live in, our culture, it wouldn't even be a one. It would be a zero, right? Because hospitality in our world, it's off the radar. It is just completely off the radar. I'm telling you, it's not off God's radar. Because God realizes how important it is. So, you know, where would you circle? What number would you give yourself on that? Are you, are you dabbling? Are you devoted? Probably somewhere in between. And then finally, prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. They did not dabble in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. You know why? Because they had to be. They had to be. Uh, They prayed when they were together. They prayed when they were alone. They prayed to start their day. They prayed at the end of the day. They prayed when things were going terrible and they needed strength. They prayed when things were going wonderful and they were thanking God for his blessings. Why were they so devoted to prayer? It was because they realized they weren't in control. Because they realized this idea of, I'm going to be self-sufficient in my life. It's not a very good life strategy. That we need God. They realized that that God exists. That God listens. That God cares. That God responds. That God's able. People who are alive spiritually, they have a conviction that there is something uniquely intimate that there is something incredibly comforting and that there is something supernaturally powerful about prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, people who are not healthy spiritually, they dabble in prayer. They have a prayer life, but it's sort of a dabbling prayer life. They don't routinely surrender their day to God. They don't express gratitude for God's goodness. They kind of decide, I can figure it out on my own, and if I can't, as a last resort, then I'll pray. It's not a first option. It's a last resort. When I need something, when my life comes off track, you know, when, when, when like the wheels come off, then, you know, I'll pray. But Paul said, pray without ceasing. Paul said, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Jesus said, pray with the same ferocity of a widow who's trying to wear down a judge. Like someone knocking on the door of a neighbor. James says, the the, the fervent prayer of a righteous person, it availeth much. It is powerful and effective. John said, when you pray, God goes to work. How devoted are you to prayer? Dabblers don't pray that way. Dabblers don't persist in prayer. Again, they don't frame their day in prayer because, quite honestly, dabblers don't really believe in the power or the promise of prayer. Not really. So, 
what number would you circle for you when it comes to being devoted to prayer? And again, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about you. Because you make up us, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And let me say this about devotion. Devotion doesn't equal perfection, okay? Well, I feel really bad because I don't have very many nines and tens on my assessment. I bet you don't. Because we're all a work in progress. And we're all allowing God to continually transform us more into likeness of Jesus. One moment at a time, surrendered to God. You know, we live in a culture that will say, you need to devote yourself to yourself, to your own little life, to your own agenda, to your own success, to your own ego. We live in a world that will tell you dabbling in spiritual things is probably good enough. And here's, here's my fear for us. I don't think there's a danger of any of us denying Jesus. I don't think there's really a danger of any of us turning our back on Jesus. Those of you watching online, if you've stayed with us this long, you're not going to walk away from Jesus. You're not going to deny him. You're not going to abandon Jesus. Those of you who are sitting in here, where it is as hot as blue blazes in here today, by the way. Is it, has anybody else noticed that? You've sat in here quietly. You know, you're not going to abandon Jesus, right? But here where I think is our greatest challenge, and I think Satan's greatest temptation, he wants you to just dabble in Jesus. He wants to somehow convince you that a little bit's probably enough. Don't go overboard on this thing. Balance. There's got to be some balance. Where do you find the idea of balance in the New Testament? These people weren't balancing their, their physical life and their spiritual life. They're sold out for God. And then God said, let me take care of everything else. You sell out to me. And you let me take care of everything else. There's a great statement in, uh, in the 12-step program um, that says this. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. I love that sentiment. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We were there at a tipping point. What were we going to do? We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. It's in the big book, by the way. It is also in the good book. <laughs> That's also in scripture. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. The only way you're going to enjoy a transformed life is to seek his protection and care with complete abandon. Not to dabble, but to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Hashtag 242. That can be you. That can be us. I hope it is. Travis has a song that uh, we're going to use as a song of encouragement. 
as we stand and sing this song, if you've got something on your heart that you need to share with your family here, we're doing life together today. And you can meet us down front and let us know. Online, uh, there will be a link that uh, you can get in touch with us as well. Let's go ahead and be standing as we sing. <laughs>